um, we only want to have the user handle of the user, and we want the user to store that information on their machines, on their laptop, on their phones, um, in their own encrypted user store. Um, so it's a challenge building a network like this, um, but certainly it's technically feasible, and it's very feasible if you don't want to track your users, which we definitely don't want to do. Today I'm talking to Sean O'Brien, one of the volunteers behind the new social media platform, Panquake. Why do we need a new social media platform? Well, the ones that we have don't exactly have the enthusiasm or the good-natured spirit with which the internet was intended, and that is exactly what this team are trying to recapture. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, powered by the Harvey Nash Group, where we talk to leaders from across the industry and bring you some technology news. Welcome to your Friday edition of Tech Talks. I'm lucky to be joined by Akish. How are you? Hello. I'm very well, thanks. I'm good. Friday. I was in the kitchen. I was in the kitchen a couple of days ago. Mm. Just, I can't remember what I was doing. Probably, probably making a pizza. Make a pizza. No, I, I, I made. I mean, yesterday I made a, uh, a vegan uh, beetroot and caramelized onion tart. Right. Okay. You don't look impressed. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure vegans would love that. I'm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we had some coming over. It was better than just giving them grass. Yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> and on the radio comes this story that literally made me go, hang on, what? Um, <laughs> it's not funny, but it is funny. Um yeah. There are camel beauty contests in Saudi Arabia, right? Yeah. Top prize for these camel beauty contests, $40 million, or £40 million, rather. For the camel? I think for the trainer. But a number of trainers or owners or whatever have been disqualified this year because they're using Botox on their camels. You're joking. Nope. You're Googling it, aren't you? I am Googling it. It's just like, sorry, what? To give them fuller lips, improve their humps and lumps. I'm just like, sorry, what? My humps, my lovely camel humps. Isn't that like a Black Eyed Peas song? Is it? <laughs> Mate, sorry. I'm looking at this now. This is ridiculous. Yeah, it was on the BBC. I was like, surely this, no, this is not a joke. This is on the BBC website. 30,000 camels competed. Yeah. In, oh my God. I mean, along with the crown of Miss Camel. <laughs> we shouldn't laugh we shouldn't laugh and it's awful that these poor camels are having botox injected into them to give them like yeah. leathery lips and stuff it's oh, like man, beyond awful but at the same time it was just one of those moments where you go what oh mate that's horrible do you know what it, it, next time i'm on holiday you know when you go to holiday to one of these places like the middle east or north africa and stuff and they've got camels there and you've always got the guy who's like trying to like fob you a camel rider and i'll be like is this uh is this camel entered into uh you know miss camel miss beauty camel yeah miss camel 2020 or something <laughs> <laughs> give me give me her accreditations uh anyway there oh, you go I, I was just listening to that and uh yeah, that's, 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 that's animal cruelty, isn't it? I mean, I know they're... Oh, it is. It's awful. It's yeah, awful. I mean, I mean they're in, enhancing... The... We're laughing, but it is awful. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm probably laughing at the absurdity of it more than anything. Yeah, wow. I mean, I've never heard that, so there you go. Okay, I know. Learn, learn something new every day, mate. Exactly, exactly. You know where is a great place to learn new things? Go on. Social media. That's very true. 
social media wonderful resource of all sorts of stuff that you never knew uh and today we're talking all about social media but a nicer kind of version of social media with the ability to send uh panquakes quakes uh so we're going to hand over to our interview with sean o'brien and then afterwards you'll know what we're talking about and we'll have some commentary on it welcome to today's show today i am joined by sean sean how are you good you are here to talk about Panquake, uh, amongst other things. But before we ask you what Panquake is, because it's not something I was familiar with before um, we were got in touch with through Twitter, um, who are you? Where are you from? And and what's your background? I am uh, Sean O'Brien. I'm a cybersecurity researcher. Um, I've taught cybersecurity at Yale Law School. Um, I founded something there called Privacy Lab, um, which is an initiative of the Information Society Project. Um, and we do cool things like um, digital self-defense workshops, um, showing people how to be more private and, if we can, more anonymous online, um, as well as digging into you know cybersecurity issues and doing investigations. Um, I do some of that work also, I should say, for ExpressVPN. Um, we founded something there called the ExpressVPN Digital Security Lab, and we dig into things like naughty apps that are grabbing lots of people's data. Um, so I got involved with uh, Panquake uh, because of this privacy and security background, and um, I hope to really bring that kind of perspective and uh, really actualize my ethics and my values around privacy and security um, in that product. So I suppose the last year and a half has been a very busy time for you because, as people are probably aware, um, attacks um, on individuals, phishing attacks, attacks on organizations have gone through the roof, right? Yeah, so it's been uh, very interesting and uh, quite difficult to keep up despite the fact that we've been inside and on computers so much, right? Um you know, the kinds of things I've seen which are interesting are, um, you know, different types of phishing. You see a lot more so-called smishing attacks, which are text message based. Um, these sort of things are um, recognitions that folks are mixing and matching the sort of work from home and home life environment with their professional corporate world. Um, so, yeah, the playing field has been pretty wide open. And as I'm sure you know, and and the audience probably knows some about. Um, there's been a rising wave of ransomware attacks, attacks on infrastructure, all kinds of things in just the past few months. So, would it be fair that that they're kind of targeting the fact that I suppose the the digitally literate or learning to be literate population has has expanded? I mean, you know, we kind of talk about the fact that. Gen Z and millennials are all kind of fairly au fait with tech, although certainly not. Uh, I probably uh, could be a lot more anonymous than I am online and do a lot of very silly things. But, you know, it's kind of the baby boomers and Gen Y, Gen, uh, you know, the, the older generations who've suddenly started using, because they've had to, digital services en masse that I, I suppose are quite vulnerable in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I think um, there's no doubt that the uh, expansion of um, the older generation, uh, professional class, um, using things daily like Zoom and all these video chats, being on social media perhaps more <laughs> than some of the younger generations, millennials and so on. Um, these older generations are certainly a serious um, target. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say, though, I mean, I do a lot of workshops with people um, 
the generational bounds aren't as strict as everyone wants to <laughs> pretend they are. Um, I find that there's just a general um, sort of mysticism about computers. Um, if you've grown up with computers and um, you don't necessarily know what your app does when you tap on the button, it's not very different than learning how to use one when you're older and also not knowing what goes on. Mm. Um, so it takes real serious education and there's just not enough of that going on. It's funny, you know, because I often think that it's probably my generation that's the worst. Like my parents are quite suspicious. They will use technology, but they're quite careful about what they put online. Gen Z coming through are far more aware of the dangers and are only putting so much online. And then there's people like me who are in their late 30s who got on Facebook when we were at university and didn't realize that there are any issues and just put a whole load of stuff out there and now have these huge digital footprints behind us that we can't really get rid of. That's right. That's right. Um, and, you know, one of the things, uh, unfortunately, that um, I study and I, I try to drive home as well is, you know, this kind of cyber hygiene, right? Not putting stuff out there, trying to reduce your digital footprint and, you know, your searchability in something like Google. Um, that's a very good idea. Um, but the more difficult stuff to um, sort of uh, counter is the surreptitious um, unknown uh, tracking and spying that goes on in all of these operating systems, in all of these apps. Um, and unfortunately, we don't get to even see those digital profiles that are built on us and whether they resemble us at all. Um, so they could be worse versions of us. They could be slightly better in some areas, but slightly different in others. And um, that kind of tracking and those kinds of doppelgangers are a big concern of mine going into the future. So look, um, I suppose let's let's get into Panquake. Um, what is it, first of all? Because you said this has led you to getting involved in Panquake, but, but what is it? Sure. So Panquake is a next generation um, short messaging service. Um, so something like a Twitter. Um, Panquake uh, has quakes instead of tweet tweets um, and has um, some excellent fun features to sort of encourage um, positive gamification. I can talk a little bit about some of those. Uh, but first, I think it's important just to sort of reinforce um, it is the counter to the big tech issues that we have in social media. It is designed by information activists and folks who are very serious about issues like censorship, um, privacy, as I mentioned, um, security, and so on. And every piece of the network that we're designing um, is taking that into account. Um, so we really want to respect users, not just be some clone that's just slightly different. Um, and we're building it um, as quickly as possible with the help of a crowdfunding campaign and donors. So, And some of those different features that you described to me before we hit record, you talked about the fact that, you know, if there was illegal content that was put on there, or I suppose this might extend to things like, like hate speech or so on, there's a blockchain record. So this stuff can be verified and proved and, and linked back to a specific user because you also don't have bots. Is this, is this the right way of describing it? Sure. So um, there are basically two pieces that are sort of, you know, important, which may seem like they clash at first, but I think once you get to know the way that we're integrating them, it, it makes sense. Um, the first one is that all interactions on the network, you know, if you send a quake, if you reply to someone, if you like someone's content, that all goes into a blockchain record, right? Um, so that's something that's decentralized and shared between peers in the network. Um, we're going to have different trust levels 
models and so on, just like blockchain models do. Um, but it's basically a ledger, right? A record of everything that happens. And that kind of transparency means that moderation decisions, as you mentioned, um, are transparent to the user. Um, so if there is some illegal content or some atrocious stuff and it gets moderated, then you know why. Um, so you don't have the shadow banning. You don't have your follower account disappearing. You don't have you know you being forcefully unfollowed from other users. Um, an example I use in this case, uh, I have a friend who just um, uh, transitioned to a different gender. Um, and she changed her profile picture and changed her name and was forcefully unfollow, or I should say her follow list, the people she was following, just went down to zero. <laughs> so um, clearly Twitter thought something about the account, um, you know, and we can't even prove it because these are all black box algorithms, et cetera. So we want to get around that by having that transparency. Um, conversely, though, we don't want to be gathering phone numbers and email addresses and all this personally identifiable stuff. Um, we only want to have the user handle of the user, and we want the user to store that information on their machines, on their laptop, on their phones, um, in their own encrypted user store. Um, so it's a challenge building a network like this, um, but certainly it's technically feasible and it's very feasible if you don't want to track your users, which we mm -hmm. definitely don't want to do. So those are sort of the two main, um, I'd say, architectural uh, ethics strategies that we're following. So it's not underpinned by data. It's a subscription model. Mm -hmm. um, and there's no advertising either in terms of in terms of making uh, money to, to run the thing. That's right. So the subscription model is a flat, just $5 a month. Um, so you pay $5, you get access to the enhanced mm -hmm. features. Um, we're also going to have um, sort of limited um, what we're calling participant accounts where um, you go from being uh, just a guest or a visitor of the website. You can have sort of a temporary handle and um, you can do some limited interaction. Um, but most of the functionality, most of the stuff you really want to do, setting your user profile, doing all that stuff, um, you will only get if you pay for the subscription model. Um, that said, we understand that there are people, you know, in the global south or even just, you know, dealing with the fallout from COVID, right, um, in the pandemic, um, where $5 is still a lot to ask. Um, mm -hmm. So we do have compassionate accounts um, and we're also going to have gifting. And um, I think that'll be an interesting experiment as well, where, um, you know, we've had a number of people say, hey, I'm happy to pay $20 a month and give three accounts to someone. Um, so what percentage of the network ends up actually being subsidized by other users remains to be seen, um, but it could be pretty significant. So. so I suppose the question that I was kind of groping inarticulately mm -hmm. towards is why would people pay for this? Is this the preserve of people who are, like yourself, very digitally literate, very aware of the issues and want to minimize their risk? Or do you think there's a, there's a, there's a wider appetite for this? Because, you know, at the minute, I suppose if, if someone is going onto Twitter and they've got thousands of followers on there, they, they like the fact that it's mass communication, mm -hmm. that they can get a message out to thousands of users. Um, whereas I suppose at the moment, something like Panquake probably doesn't have the same number of users. You know, it's it's not right. it's not going to be a news source in quite the same way that, that Twitter also is a is a news source for a lot of people. So what's what's the niche? What's the reason for people coming over? 
So certainly critical mass is always the issue with a new network, right? Um, and our initial donors, the people donating now are people who are interested in, you know, the message, right? We're getting away from big tech. We're respecting you. We're serious about privacy and security, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, that message is really important to that initial group. Um, but we are designing features for mainstream users and really are very serious about capturing that mainstream audience. Um, as you mentioned, people actually want to be on social media to reach people. Um, and that's a big part of the promise here. Um, the features we're building in, the gamification I'm talking about, um, is about reaching people. And to give one example, um, we have a feature called Thunderquakes, right? Um, and that's basically, you know, um, it's going to allow you to amplify your message to all of your followers, a pre-scheduled message, right, with just a couple of clicks. Um, your followers can all opt in to amplifying this message when it's scheduled to go out, or they can decide they don't want to. And then that's automatically, you know, in all of their timelines sent out to everyone. So um, that kind of feature, I think, will be really powerful and also will level the playing field a little bit between, you know, so-called normal users and, um, you know, what is right now on social media, corporations and so on, who just buy influence. Um, those corporations, you know, if Coca-Cola joins the network and they want to also send a thunderquake, they can do so, but so can Sean O'Brien, right? So um, it's not going to be um, the kind of um, unlevel playing field that you see now in these other networks. So if a massive corporation joins, yes, they've got a lot of money and a lot of clout in other respects of, you know, in other forums, but on this particular channel, they are just an individual or almost in effect. Sure. That's exactly it. Um, and um, when you start talking about bots and manipulation and the kinds of worries that, um, you know, both ordinary people and governments and so on have been so worried about, right, with big tech, um, we want to minimize and make it very difficult for that sort of thing to happen. Um, so another thing which is really important is that um, the network is opt-in. And what I mean by that basically is you're going to see the content from the people you follow only, or if you decide to look up, you know, cats or whatever, and join those conversations, of course, we'll have a search where you can do that. Um, we will also have trends listed, and these will be real trends, right? Not manipulated based upon where you are or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, who you are, definitely, we're not going to manipulate based on that. So um, minimizing that stuff, making sure it's not built into the network, making sure it's not built into the business model, um, really does make it a little difficult for um, not just corporations, but anybody who's trying to manipulate the network, Um that said, we want to have folks be able to find each other. So usually when I say something like that, people are like, well, I don't want to go into a network where I can't, you know, find people and so on and so forth. Um, we do have features, for example, that would allow you to um, say, hey, I'm promoting this one user who just joined the network. David joined. You should really check him out. Um, and then with one click, um, that can be sent um, in your timeline to all of your followers. And that's something called a cupquake, which uh, is another feature that we're, we're trying to push. So we've thought around sort of the bot issues and so on and said, you know, um, we know people, ordinary individuals need to be amplified. They need to have some way to reach people, right? If we do this opt-in thing, um, this is one way that we can make sure that people get seen. And you'll find like each feature we're proposing for the network, we're working on for the network, um, has that sort of thought process built in. It's not just about creating some, or it's not about at all creating some cloistered sort of closed off social network. 
network, which I think you'll find some of the alternative networks are now. Mm. Um, it's really about hoping that we can bring back some of that sort of warm and fuzzy feeling of the earlier internet, right? The earlier social networks we were used to in the 90s and early 2000s before things sort of got so manipulated and cynical. So. Yeah, I remember at Web Summit a couple of years ago, uh, Tim Berners-Lee talking about the early promise of the internet. And it mm -hmm. does feel like it's kind of, I suppose, in, the, in that vein. But I suppose the big question is, are people finding it? How do people find it? You know, um, it's great that it's out there, but you're in an area or a part of um, of the net that is is already um you know, where, where I suppose there is already, sorry, sure. a, a lack of oxygen. Um, so, so how are you kind of managing to cut through? That's a really good way to put it. <laughs> um, so um, right now, you know, we just finished phase one of our funding, which was sort of starting the business, getting us bootstrapped. Um, we're in phase two now where we want to develop the beta. We're raising money for that through a crowd funder. We are doing it through grassroots word of mouth, primarily working through the social networks that exist, um, as well as as personal networks of individuals, obviously doing interviews and things like that. Um, but there is a lack of oxygen. Um, and we are finding, as many people are finding, that it's difficult to reach people these days. Um, that if you don't have the money or the clout or whatever, you know, if you're not controversial enough, um, it can be really hard to um, reach folks and even get um, decent coverage, um, decent messaging out to folks. Um, you can be doing the most amazing thing in the world and you just don't reach the same people you used to. Um, so there's a lack of oxygen. I would also say, you know, there's actual targeting too. We've had situations where already, and we don't have the network, you know, running with active users in it yet, um, but we've had DDoSing and these kinds of things happen. Um, we had some issues with PayPal, um, basically taking money from our funders um, and not dispersing it to our bank account, um, which is obviously a huge issue. Um, there's all kinds of problems. And um, if you want to find out how terrible uh, and, you know, I would say also corrupt some of these centralized services can be, um, try to work on a project like this, right? Try to launch your own social network and you'll find out rather quickly. So if someone wanted to be part of the network, how do they go about it? Because at the minute, you know, I'm assuming that it possibly might be a bit early to search for it on, a, on an app store, but, you know, how, how does it look? How do you access it? Sure. You know, is it is it browser based? Yeah, so it's browser based. We don't have a demo that people can get into yet. So we're at the stage where you go out to panquake.com. Um, you can actually um, donate there, obviously, to support us, um, and you can apply for the beta. So um, because we're using a blockchain-based model and something called proof of authority to build that initial set of users that we're going to use for the beta and build trust in the network and make sure we get the ins and outs of the blockchain um, working, the blockchain network working, um, we have applications open for the first 5,000 users, which we're calling the team of 5,000, um, to basically join our network. Um, so right now, you know, if you're interested, that is the best way to really get involved and get in on the ground floor, um, fill out that application. Um, even if um, we don't choose you for the beta, you will get access to the early access, which is the next stage. And we're going to give a slight discount. Um, I think it's $3.00. Um, to uh, some of these folks um, for the early access. So it's um, it's a good thing to support us, give us that little bit of, you know, we know it's your hard-earned cash, we will do wonderful things with it. Um, but, 
if you want to get in on the ground floor, that's how you do it. Um, the other thing I would say is uh, we recognize that, um, you know, we recognize people are hungry for um, news about big tech censorship, these issues I'm talking about, and um, that a subscription model for that makes sense to sort of help fund um, the Panquake project. Um, so we recently launched a substack um, in five languages, actually, um, called Talk Liberation. And that gives a rundown of the news of the week, the top stories in censorship, big tech, surveillance, privacy, um, et cetera. And also we have video um, content, short videos that go through those stories um, with our wonderful host, Taylor Hudak, um, who just will explain that to you. And we're hoping that'll be something good to sort of supplement, um, you know, content creators, right? It, we don't want to compete with people who are making content. We want to help them point them to the stories that are the big deal for the week and really be a useful service, news service for that. Um, and that's a way where you can support the network and get a cool newsletter, right? Every, every week um, and also get a video. So. Amazing. Well, look, I think it's a, it's not only exciting, it's very noble. Hopefully it works. Um, you know, uh, there's been a lot of talk about the ills of social media, but, but people love social media for, for a very good reason. We like being connected and we like sharing, um, Good stuff, right? So anything that helps us get back to that, that's, that's fantastic. So, Sean, I really appreciate your time coming on the podcast and sharing that with us today. Yep, thanks so much. It's been great. And I hope you all will go out to panquake.com and donate. Right. Um, I don't know whether my enthusiasm for this really came across in the interview, but guess what I did as soon as it finished? I had a look at your digital footprint and what you'd been throwing out there and how many followers you lost. Or No, I... I um. I donated. I signed up. Did you? Yeah. Oh. I entered the beta program. I donated ten dollars. Oh, very nice. Very because nice. Because I I like the idea of of a company trying to not even a company is it because it's a group of volunteers but it, but someone trying to um, recapture that early promise of an internet that is about genuinely connecting people oh. in a positive and safe way hmm. yeah true and also i think it was just it you kind of forget i think um or i do anyway i'm talking from my experience you kind of forget that if your data and things can be tracked very quickly what a knock-on effect it can have on people and um specific kind of friendship groups communities colleagues and and people's livelihood right so to have something which is guarded or secure in a certain way where it's only you know kind of uh, able to to have everyone on the same wavelength so to speak and, and mm. having a, a more ethical way um yeah i think it's great actually uh, have you found it any different or well what? no so so obviously it's it's not uh, as 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 um sean said it's not up and running yet yeah. they're in that kind of build phase and, yeah. and they're going to contact some of their early supporters at that then stage to, to see whether or not they've been um kind of moved forward to the, to the yeah. car version so so i don't i don't know i like the idea I mean, it's funny i was <laughs> i was on facebook the other day yeah um 
and how, how old are we that we still have facebook by the way well because of medical stuff over the last year it's actually one thing i will say about facebook if you if you want to find out about um a, a rare genetic or autoimmune disorder some great communities on there so check Ooh. out facebook if that is your bag uh anyway i was on there and i followed the bbc comedy stuff because apart from finding out about liver disease i quite like having a laugh um and there was a clip came up from the mash report from maybe right. about a year a year and a half ago Oh. Um, familiar with the MASH report? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was a segment on um, the the biggest growth industry in the UK uh, and careers advice for young people, um, how to be a wanker. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and it was basically citing Piers Morgan, um, what's her face who used to be on The Apprentice who we booted out of the country because she's goddamn awful. Um, oh, yeah. Again. Uh, Hopkins, is it? Yes, Katie yeah, Hopkins. Katie Hopkins. It was, it was basically like a guide to being one of these people. Right. And it just made me, really, you know, because obviously it's satire and it's sending it up. Yeah. But there was this tweet, um, somebody Hartley Brown or someone who's, who's again, an awful, awful person online. Yeah. Who was deliberately antagonizing Greta Thunberg right. with like a, I have booked a long haul family holiday for my whole family this winter. Level of guilt, 0% Greta Thunberg. What do you think? And it's like, what is wrong with you? You're like a grown, like, fine, you're going on holiday. Like, but do you have to point out that it's long haul and they don't have any guilt and then copy in someone who's like a a, a environmental campaigner? No, you don't. And it's just that thing that's like, that social media being used in a completely unnecessary, antagonistic, horrible way. Mm. And I know that there's got to be this thin line between, you know, who decides what's acceptable and what's not. And that mm. could be a question for, for Panquake further down the line. <clears throat> you know, it's all very well saying we want to keep it so that it's positive, but it's like what one person views as being positive someone else might not yeah uh, and, and who it's great that it's all captured on bit on on uh, blockchain but who monitors that um but yeah it was like you're watching that and it's like there's there's this satire piece that you know the biggest growth industry in the uk is being a wanker and how well piers morgan's done from it but it's like there's an element of truth and how how fucking sad is that that you can satirize the fact that social media is such an awful place yeah and, and also i think it's just it's a place now where people don't, they just don't think, you know, like it's the age I was saying, we grew up with our parents, people that were elder in our family, yeah. teachers, that sort of thing. And the biggest thing that I was always told was think before you speak. Right. Yeah. And, and whether or not you're saying the right thing, calm, compose yourself. Some of these people, they don't think before they type. And I think that's the issue. Like there's so many things that people just put out on social media straight away yeah. And then open themselves up into, you know, a whole load of like, you know, um, kind of issues and problems. And that might not be them as a person. This lady, she might be an actually very nice person who's probably helping out on like school fairs and doing, you know, carpooling for other kids in, in her children's class or, or whatever and, and being a really nice human being. But the fact that 
some things obviously she's got a beard up on it on that day and then she's just gone in do you know what i mean but like, no, she, she, she's well known antagonistic oh is she okay well oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. forget her then um, no it's true there could but, be someone yeah. who is like that who say and and i think there's also that danger isn't there with with mass social media where um you know likes and retweets and whatever else are at the heart of it like yeah yeah um the, it's all about gratification of getting a response yeah and that sometimes actually saying something negative mm. um gets more of a response yeah 100 percent. And, and in the same way i mean think back what a month or so ago do you remember when the whole euros thing happened with mm. all the um all the black players in the england team right there were people mm. who were tweeting and commenting on instagram stuff and and then there was a sudden kind of this whole like online campaign which got started which was finding out what the people have said on twitter and instagram then linking their like linked into it and you know, kind of finding out. And, and like they talk about in the interview, I mean, your digital footprint is everywhere, right? So you can yep. get traced very quickly. Um, people like you and I, we, I would like to say, are quite sane people and we don't do those sorts of things and don't have those sort of extreme views. Um, no, absolutely. No, yeah, we, can, we can confirm. Um, but if we ever did or wrote something or said something in contact, we can be traced very easily. I, well, I would expect there to be, and, and would hope there would be consequences. I want to live in a world where you don't get to say things like yeah, that and, exactly. and get away with it. Exactly. And, and I think sometimes social media, especially, is just, thing is, it's just, it is a load of shit a lot of the time. <laughs> a lot of the time yeah. it's a load of shit. But on the flip side, it can be a real positive for um, discovery. You know, the amount of, when you go on holiday now, mm, mm. being able to, let's face it, like Instagram, mm. I'm trying to book a holiday at the moment and, and you kind of have a look around at, at the idea of where you might want to go and you immediately find a hotel's account on Instagram yeah. uh, or maybe you find the hashtag for that hotel and then you look at, at guests' photos. 100%. That's a, mass, that's a massively important thing. Like, have a look what other people who are genuinely staying there One, are posting. Have a look at their photos. 100%. Do you know what? I was doing the exact same thing last week, right? There's a couple of places that um, in the UK that I was kind of looking to go away to and kind of found them and then saw that, you, you know, you can search by place and yeah. saw that people had like tagged themselves in there. So back in the day, you used to look at like TripAdvisor or mm. these review websites. Which is you, also a hateful place. Yeah, exactly. And and you, you almost never really knew what was right, what was wrong. But now when you can see pictures and videos and things like that, you can actually go, oh, well, yeah, no, it does look similar. And, yeah. you know, sometimes it also allows you to, to kind of work out, you know, what sort of clientele is there. And, and, you know, for example, if you and your missus go out, I highly doubt you'd want to stay in some sort of a party hotel. Um I mean, you might want to. You're saying about me, mate? No, no, no. I'm just saying, you, you know, <laughs> I've known you for long enough. I mean, you, you, you're up for a little rave every now and then and a bit of a, you know, bit of a boogie. But, you know, I'm just saying you probably like to also enjoy <laughs> some quality time with the missus. I'm getting myself in trouble here, aren't I? But, uh, <laughs> but what I mean by that is it allows you just to get a better understanding of things and, and, and yep. a better idea. And you, you actually, you know, they're restaurants in the same way. Um also a lot of like you know deals in terms of like um if you want to buy something like a car or, or these sorts of things there's all mm -hmm. these instagram accounts where they're like independent you know retailers and stuff so yeah. and and then also you get to connect with people that you've never spoken to i mean yeah, exactly a few months ago i connected with a girl who i went to primary school with we've not spoken in hold on my 29 in about 20 years right and she found me via 
um, someone who we also went to school with, who I still talk to. And uh, she was like, I saw you commented on their thing and I recognize your name. And do you remember we had a long old chat? Turns out she's, um, you know, working in the city, that sort of thing. And we're meeting up in a couple of weeks. So oh, nice. it was like, you know, that, that, that sort of stuff. If, if, if that platform wasn't there, I would never have ever gone back and spoken to her. Yeah. Um, or, or I mean, lo- looping it back around to the comment that I made about um, medical groups on, on Facebook, I, I don't mm. make a secret of the fact that I've got um, a liver disease. Um, mm. And Facebook over the last year has been incredibly useful, actually, as a resource. Because obviously, you go online and you type in a medical condition, and it's, it tells you, know, the internet tells you you're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, great. Hay fever uh, as well. Yeah. <laughs> if you ever type in hay fever, it's like, oh, worst cases of hay fever, you might end up in hospital. What? But if, if you have, like, genuinely, if you, if you have quite a rare condition, it can be quite difficult finding people mm. with the same circumstances who've gone through what you're about to go through and you've you've got all these questions and it's not easy to necessarily get the answers and social can be a wonderful place actually of bringing communities of people who have genuine kind of interest around that stuff together and they're pleased those groups you know you you have to um you can't just join them you have to um say i'd like to be part of this group and they ask you why you want to be part of this group and it's like well i I have this disease or my partner has this disease or whatever else and then they let you in and then they monitor the posts and if you post it an administrator makes sure that they're happy with with the fact that it's going to be uploaded and that it's it's on topic so that's kind of the ethos i suppose behind something like panquake to a degree yeah and when you see it working like that you see the best of social and you see the best of people mm-hmm. no 100 and and i think i think when you have that kind of i guess one bodied approach and a, a kind of almost a, a governing framework that everyone is adhering to then best practices are obviously lived and um I think the ethics and behavior of people is also then then kind of monitored and it's a much safer place for, for people to stay online. And with, you know, with, with your kind of stuff, I mean, you, you're pretty lucky. You're married to a, a nice woman. You've got a good family network around you. So you had people, even if you didn't have that social media side, but imagine if you were living alone in the last 18 months that we've had, and that was your only way to interact about that sort of thing. So we still need that. We're not saying, obviously, social media is a load of crap and get rid of it. Um, because, I mean, if it weren't for social media, then we wouldn't be posting out this stuff. But then right? that's that's why Panquake is a great thing, because it's not a load of crap, but it just needs to be harnessed in the right way. Exactly, exactly. And I, and I think what they've done is good. I think the price point as well, um, I think the subscription you mentioned was about $5 once it kind of... Well, so yeah, if you want right? to donate yeah. and support it, then, yeah. then $5, which... Actually, if you believe in something like that, I, 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 as I said, I, I went and I immediately support them and I put $10 down because yeah. I just thought this is something that I think is worth giving a yeah. bit of money towards. No, exactly. Exactly. So good stuff. And um, yeah, definitely more more kind of products like that needed and, and platforms, I think. Let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to just highlight an article that was written for us by Chris Merriman about building and managing teams. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe could be recycled at the end of its life. 
As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. Right, so Chris Merriman is a journalist who's writing for the Harvey Nash Group at the moment, and he recently spoke to Gallium and their founder and MD, Heather Delaney, about um, the way the way in which we work together, changing, and how far behind we are in terms of building and managing teams. The article is on the Harvey Nash Group website. Go have a look at it. Uh, but I wanted to pull out one particular thing uh, and bring it up with Akish. Yep. So I'm going to read you a little bit here. As managing director, Heather acknowledges her duty of care to ensure the team are happy as well as productive. By creating a flat structure, she's able to get to know each member of the group as an individual and look for their best ways of working, suiting their skills, their, their working style, and how to compensate for any weaknesses. She has several strategies to ensure the teamwork works, with music forming a significant aspect. Over the years, I have built music playlists for various staff as a way to give them not only tunes they would genuinely enjoy, but a playlist that helps their stress levels. If I can see someone is struggling for whatever reason, I quietly put on the playlist as music um, is an incredibly powerful tool which can help stress. There's nothing quite like listening to your favorite music when you're having a bad day or writer's block. As the music plays, you can see the person relax a bit and they get into their favorite jam, start singing under their breath, tapping their toes. After um, a time, the music can be brought back to what the large group is interested in, but it's a subtle way to hopefully help someone Nobody has worked that one out yet. So here's my question to you, Akish. Hmm. Person in our office, colleagues that you would most and least like to have to listen to their playlist? Uh, least like to listen to, I would go um, Andy Hayes. All right. Yeah, that, let him know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do we think Andy listens to? I don't know. Probably some sort of like... I don't know, you know, yeah, probably some sort of like eighties pop, like wham. I don't, I don't know. All right, I thought you were going to go Rick Astley. Like. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, probably that as well. To be fair, um, right, okay, Andy, Andy on the blacklist. Andy, uh, uh, probably. Um, who, who, who else? Who else is a bit, a bit weird? Uh, oh, going for another one. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to think who's like who I wouldn't really understand or get along with there's been so many people join as well over this uh, pandemic and unfortunately people leave us um i wouldn't mind i'm just trying to think barney if he if he was still around like he, i just don't even think he likes music to be honest but yeah <laughs> <laughs> paul yates actually put paul yates there but he's he's got a weird uh, and i also think paul yates listens to like very modern pop music he's obviously got two young kids right so i think his so I think is like Harry Styles, like yeah, like charty type of like you know Ooh. weird stuff. I, I reckon he's listened to that because obviously he's got two young kids in school, so they're probably like putting it on in the house, <laughs> and it's probably in his head. Um, and I'll tell you the most, uh, the person who I think has uh, always got a very good music sense is Dammy. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very varied. Um, yeah. You know, he's, he's 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 probably finger on the pulse. Much more than most, so than most. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I've been on a on a few nights with him, and um, yeah, so I, I think he's got very good, uh, very good music taste. Actually, we'll so. definitely clip that bit for Andy. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Give him an opportunity to rebuff. Yeah, I know, I know. I, I was, I was trying to think uh, someone from Birmingham as well, because seeing as like the UK South is now like one team, but I don't know any of them too well, so I can't really. Yeah, yeah I, I, I can. I've got no idea. Hannah Stevens, who runs marketing for Harvey Nash. Yeah, I can imagine just listening to Abba in a happy little space. She's quite young though. Abba's like Abba's yeah, like my happy parents. Music. Happy music, yeah, I guess so. Um, do, do, do you listen to music whilst you're working? Just, yeah. Do you? Yeah. Are you a music in your headphones or a music on a speaker kind of guy? Um, normally in my headphones. Really? See, I I can't listen to music in my headphones because I end up getting too. I, I, this is weird, but I end up getting too distracted. So I just put it on the old little. Bluetooth speaker and also I find when calls and stuff come in I can just pause it very quickly and then pick up the phone rather than because with headphones you've got got Sonos and stuff but yeah yeah I quite like just kind of getting lost in my little world so yeah I'll I'll tell you what I am listening to if we can give them a plug though is uh BBC Five Live actually um Oh, I listen to a lot of Five Live. Yeah, yeah. Tony, Tony Livesey with Drive and Anna. yeah, yeah. Mid morning yeah. um, debates as well are pretty good. They get right, some, yeah, yeah. Uh, they get some good kind of topics on the go and and you know kind of things which you hear different people's opinions about. So yeah, I sound really old, don't I? Imagine, <laughs> imagine, imagine us. Oh, you know what? We're lucky Chloe's not here. Imagine if Chloe her. was on this. It would be awful. Imagine her. She's like, oh, hang on. I'm I'm working in a place where I've got two geezers that listen to. Like five live during the day whilst working. Like, oh god, double old in it. <laughs> yeah, I would say. I mean, looking at my my Spotify most likes like tracks. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't think it would go down well. Although, I mean, I'm I'm having a look at my recently played. I mean, I'd like to think I've got a bit of a eclectic taste. I mean, I've listened to a bit of Kano. I've listened to some old school, you know, dance hall. Bit of Tiny Temper. Uh, Oh, okay. His, uh, I, I, I listened to an ABBA song, apparently, if you, or whenever this was. Nothing wrong with ABBA, I'll have to say. No, 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 not yeah, really. What, what have I got? I've got a bit of Billy Joel, Taylor Swift, Sam Fender, Churches, a bit random. I've got some Hosier. Hosier's quite good. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite settled, isn't he? You know, so... Uh, <laughs> I feel I feel that we're now we're now straying into a whole different conversation. Let's yeah. bring <laughs> let's bring this podcast to a close. Uh, if you've made it this far, well done. Uh, <laughs> we will be back on Tuesday. They're, they're probably they're probably looking at their own playlist at the moment now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The three people who are still listening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>